Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. We started last Sunday morning um, talking about our values. And I just felt a couple of weeks ago, it's so important to talk about the things that we value. Our values define who we are. Our values define what our culture is, how we live, how we think, how we act, how we operate. And uh, how we operate and how we behave all comes out of what we believe, what our values are. And uh, last Sunday morning, if we could just bring that first slide up, we looked at our first value, which is that we as a local church, we value unity. One family united in Christ. That's our first value. That's the thing that we believe, that we aspire to. And uh, in our church, we believe in respecting, supporting and valuing each other. In our thoughts, words and actions, we honour our leaders, seek to resolve conflict and pretend, uh, excuse me, and defend and protect our church against division. And I said last week, you know, what do we do with divisive people? Well, we, we show them the door. There's no room for division in Shell Harbour Community Church. Uh, we have one vision, one purpose, one mandate to achieve that God has given us. And we're all encouraged to speak the same way, to speak into the vision that God has for us. Amen. So that was our first week. Our second week, it's my great joy. I uh, believe that there's an amazing gift on this man's life. And I look forward to hearing. Come on up, Dan, if you would, this morning. Dan Cadwell is going to be sharing the word today. And I'm uh, really thrilled. Uh, you may or may not know that Ruth is uh, the director for Sprouts, doing an incredible job there. And uh, we look forward to seeing that space over the next four weeks as well and all that will, will come. But so encouraged by Dan, love who he is, love the gift of God upon his life. And I want to encourage you, give him heaps of big smiles this morning as he shares the word of God. Amen. Give him another round of applause, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. Yeah, as Shane said um, and touched on using our gifts and bringing them into the house and tying that in with our values and where we can apply that. I don't know if um, anyone saw the Ministry Gifts questionnaire. Uh, it was up the back the other week. I forgot to get one myself. I meant to grab it, but they're up on the information desk this morning if you need to get them. I probably should have grabbed it the other week. I went through quickly this morning, and you answer all the questions on the back page. There's a, a graph. I'll just bring it up. There's a table at the back. You can plot your gift on there. Um, so I had this whole preach worked out this morning but I did the, the graph and I plotted it and it actually came up with interpretive dance so I'm sorry for that so it might need the band back no I'm just joking so yeah it's important to have a look at that you never know where your gift might be it might not be what you thought it was um, before we get started this morning I'm just going to open this time in a word of prayer and we'll get into it Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'll speak to us this morning, Lord, as your spirit is in this house. Lord, minister to your people. Lord, I just pray that you'll guide my words, help me to be encouraging, entertaining, Lord, but most of all, help me to speak your truth, uh, uncompromising truth, Lord. I just pray that you'll move in our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. If we can have the, uh, the church values up on the screen. Um, So these are the, the values that we had. So last week we looked at the first one there. We'll just read them through. One family united in Christ, pursuing the presence of God, compelled by compassion, reaching others, following Christ as disciples, teaching his word, 
and empowering each person to flourish in their God-given design. So today we're going to be looking at disciples or discipleship and digging in that to that a little bit deeper. So I thought we'd just look at what does the word disciple mean? Um, it's a, church, a word that we hear in church often, but not something, that, a word that we hear outside of church in the, in the real world. So what does disciple mean? Uh, if we can bring up the, the definition there, I had a look. I thought I'd see what, dis, what the world might say disciple means, or what the dictionary at least says. It says, a person who believes in the, the ideas and principles of someone famous and tries to live in the way that person does or did. A personal follower of Christ during his life, especially one of the 12 apostles, or a follower or pupil of a teacher, leader or philosopher. So from that, I guess we can infer that um, it's not just any one person that we can follow. There's multiple things they're suggesting that we can follow. Um, it might be, um, and, th and there's plenty of things to follow out there. There's plenty of um, leaders, uh, philosophers, teachers, um, in many ways that we, that we can follow. And a lot of them will seem to have a good message, um, something to say. They might even call themselves Christian or refer to the Bible. But how do we know what to follow? In, a, in this time um, of, of generation, like no generation before, I think we're flooded with information, just information overload. So ciphering through that to work out what is truth is really challenging. Um, we talked about uh, the persecuted church, and we often think about the persecuted church as being other churches in other places. But let's not forget that we also are persecuted in a, in a more subtle way. And what, were, what better way to make a church ineffective than to just slowly lull it to sleep? Let's not be that church. The two key points I wanted to take away from that is, so yes, we can follow anyone, so we need to choose who we're going to follow. But two key points is a person who not only believes in the ideas and principles of someone, could be anyone, but also tries to live as that person. So a disciple is someone who believes in and lives as. And it's up there on the screen, great. So I want you to, if you've got your notes here today, uh, you've got your notepad, pen, you've got your Bible, I know I do. Um, I know God's going to be speaking to me as much as he is to you, probably more so to me. Um, if you're going to write anything down, you can write that down. Believes in and lives as. So we looked at what the world says, what the dictionary mean, meaning says, at least. What does the Bible say? Um, in Matthew 28, um, 19 to 20, this is the, the verse that our value is based on. Um, it's uh, at the end of uh, the first gospel of uh, Matthew, the New Testament. And Jesus just died on the cross and he's risen again just as he said he would. And he's meeting the, the disciples in Galilee just as he said that he would before he died. He said, but after I've been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. So their obedience to follow him and meet him there. 
So in Matthew 28, 19, uh, 18 to 20, we read, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So Jesus is calling us, in fact, he's commanding us. He's got all authority. So it's not just, he's not just asking, he's got weight behind that direction. So he's commanding us to follow after him. So first as disciples, where to be his disciple and follow after him. And then we're to make disciples of all nations, meaning everyone, not just, it doesn't matter what their race is, what their colour is, what, they, what religion they're from, uh, what sporting team they follow, uh, what music they like to listen to, uh, any of those things, it's to, to everyone. And to the end of the age, the end of the church age, which we're living in now, and Jesus is going to be with us. So to believe in him, the key is, that we need to know him. To believe in something, you need to, to know it. Think of um, getting to know your partner, what that was like. Um, before you had trust in them and really knew um, that you could believe in them, you need to get to know them. You need to spend time with them. Um, you might talk to their friends, um, and at first you might stalk them on Facebook or something like that, Instagram maybe. But how do you know if those things that you're seeing or hearing or reading about, how do you know that that is really about that person, what they're like? But after you've spent time with them and you get to know them, you can decipher what's true and what's not true. And Jesus is like that. Now, we talked about all the information that's out there today. There's so, so much information, so much misinformation. Um, it's so confusing to know what truth is. How do we wade through all of that? You know, I want to challenge you this morning to not just listen to um, what you hear and believe in everything that comes along. You know, really challenge it and think for yourself. Get to know him for yourself. So in Ephesians 4.14, um, we read here that we should no longer be children tossed and fro, uh, to and fro, sorry, and carried about with every kind of wind of doctrine by the trickery of man in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There are a couple of things we can take away from that. That we're supposed to be mature, so not like children, but mature in our faith. Um, not being tossed to and fro, not just blowing with the, with the wind. Uh, but also by the trickery of man and the cunning crafting of, of deceitful plotting. It's a bit like what we talked about earlier about being lulled to sleep. Don't think there's not an agenda out there to purposely deceive us and to try and pull the wool over our eyes. Make us just feel warm and comfortable and that's it. You don't have to stand up, just go to sleep. You don't need to act on what you're hearing. Just, you know, everything's good. It's all good. Just love. Be nice to everyone. Just take the nice, warm, fuzzy bits out of it and don't worry about the challenging things. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22. It says, Do not quench, meaning to suppress or make ineffective, the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, the things that God's doing and talking to us about. But test all things, or prove all, all things in the, King, New King James, in the old King James, sorry. Prove all things and hold fast to what is good and abstain from all, for every form of evil. So in Matthew, uh, the first verse that we read in, in Matthew, Jesus was telling us that he'll always be with us through his Holy Spirit. And we, you might remember that we learned earlier about uh, the Holy Spirit working through us as a conduit. We're vessels for the Holy Spirit to work through. And not to restrict or um, disturb that flow. We're trying to let that, that Spirit flow. And obviously we're broken vessels, so we're imperfect. But the idea is that we allow the Spirit to move through. And again here it's talking about not to suppress that, not to try and contain it or stop that, the Holy Spirit, but to allow the Holy Spirit to move. But also to test, and to test all things, whether they true or not. And like I said, how are we going to know whether something is true or not unless we know what we're measuring it against? Um, and this made me feel old when I started thinking about this, but... Um, I've uh, been working for over 20 years now in the mechanical maintenance field. Uh, five years of that I spent um, in doing specialised uh, condition-based maintenance in a reliability engineering division. And a big part of that is um, looking after machines. So my job as a maintenance manager is to look after the machines. So when they've been designed, the engineers have designed them for a specific purpose with They've done all the calculations and taken into account the loads and stresses that are going to go onto that machine. And so it's designed for a purpose. And my job is to make sure that that piece of equipment is still able to complete the task that it was designed to do. Um, but if I don't know what that was how that machine was designed or what it was designed to do, how do I know if it's doing the job correctly? So in maintenance, we use lots of different techniques, and one of the uh, things to monitor equipment is temperature. Uh, temperature can be a great indicator of uh, faults or condition um, health of a machine. But just the presence of a temperature doesn't mean that um, it's good or bad. So a high temperature on a, a piece of equipment might mean that there's uh, internal component failure, uh, either imminent or happening or, or it has already happened. Or the, the temperature may mean uh, it may be within its normal operating range, meaning that the machine is healthy. So how do I know that that temperature that's coming off, what, what's it telling to me? So I need to go back to the manual, read out what it was designed to do, what temperature range was it designed to operate in, and then I can determine whether there may or may not be a fault with it. Sometimes we don't have the manuals. Uh, sometimes you just got to monitor it over time and see if anything changes. But just the fact that something stays the same doesn't, either, doesn't mean that it's healthy either. It might have had a problem already when you came to it and that problem is persisting. At some stage, it will eventually show itself in a failure and catastrophic failure more, most likely. But just that, that temperature um, change doesn't mean anything. I guess the key is this, unless we know what, what it's meant to be, how do we know if it is or isn't that? 
I brought my own water this morning. I've already drunk most of it, so you might have to excuse me as I duck out at some point. Got a bit carried away. So in Thessalonians, um, that we just read, it's saying that we need to test and prove all things. So what are we testing and proving against? What's our measure? If I give you a bit of string, say if I give 10 people 10 different lengths of string, how do you know which one is the right length of string unless you've got the datum point, the reference point, the measuring stick? In John 14, um, Jesus is speaking with the disciples before his trial and crucifixion. So he's just talked to Peter and he's just told Peter that he's going to deny Jesus three times. So fairly confronting. Um, so in, in John 14, 1 to 6, he's comforting the disciples, but primarily Peter in this instance. And so in 1 to 6, we read, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? I'll just stop there because I think that's amazing that the disciples, after all the time they spent with Jesus, still didn't know really what he was saying. Now, we might find it hard now, 2,000 years removed, to understand. So that's okay. You know, we're all working it out together. Even the disciples who were there with Jesus, they saw the miracles, they heard the teaching, they still struggled to really understand what Jesus was saying. But he got, Jesus goes on to say, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's very clear, very direct, um, very decisive in that. We heard that already this morning. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say, I am a truth, or a way. He didn't say, I'm you know, your truth or my truth or a relative truth. Um, he said it, absolute. His definite, definite article, the truth. And that's quite a controversial claim in today's world that wants to believe in relativism, uh, moral relativism, um, no absolutes. You know, it was controversial then, it's probably more so controversial now. And that's why it's important we really know what we believe in because these key foundations uh, go against the grain of today's society. But they that claim, namely the atheists and the humanists, around there being no absolutes, it's a self-refuting argument because there is no absolutes is an absolute statement. So if that is true, then there means there's absolutely no absolutes uh, doesn't make logical sense and that's one of the things that I find the world wants to put on, put on us is that we're uh, it's a blind faith to be Christian you leave your, 
your mind at the door. But I want to challenge you this morning. You, you get into the word, it makes logical sense. You know, just from the historical accuracy of the word, you know, the scientific accuracy. You know, it's not a scientific book, but where it touches on those things, it's 100% accurate. You know, science is catching up to the Bible. We should have confidence in the word of God, what it says. Don't hold back. Don't be shaken by those who want to cast doubt on your faith and your beliefs. So, you know, the other thing with knowing the word, when we're tempted, we can quote, quote scripture back. We can remember those promises. You know, the key message of salvation, that's the, that's the main one. We shouldn't forget that one. But there's plenty of other ones in there too. And I think about Jesus when he was tempted. What did he do? When Satan was really trying to put it on him and put him on and tempt him, he didn't say, well, I just feel like the word says this or, you know, I just feel like I should do this. No, he said, it is written. And the, the devil fled from him. It is written. He stood on the word. He knew the scriptures. He quoted them. He came to fulfill the scriptures. And we're told to teach the whole counsel of the Bible, of his word. So we've looked at, um, back to the, the first two points, if uh, you can remember, was believe in and live as. Um, if you're not sure, you can check in your notes. I'm sure you've written it down. So believe in. To believe in, we need to know what we're believing in. We need to know him. Best way is to read the word. What about living as? How do we live as Christ? In John 10, 1, Jesus had just healed the blind man, the, the man who'd been blind from birth. Not only that, he'd healed him on the Sabbath, which was against the Jewish religion. So he got the Pharisees upset, and he's talking with the Pharisees around um, and confronting them on this. And he said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. So again, pointing back to a single way. Jesus is the way. And later in verse 7 to 9, he says, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who co whoever come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them, because I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go, on, go in and out and find pasture. Now he refers to us as sheep there, not because we're warm and cuddly and fluffy and cute and like to jump around, but because, like no other animal, sheep need direction, and we need direction. We need someone to follow. And just like a sheep follows its shepherd because it knows the voice of that shepherd, we too should follow after Jesus because we recognize his voice and recognize when he's speaking to us. If we know him, we will know his voice and follow him. In Matthew seven thirteen to 14, 
was thinking it was going to be up there. It's not. That's okay. You can listen. Uh, in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, uh, we're looking at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So he's drawing the Sermon on the Mount, which most of you have probably heard. He's drawing that to a close. And he's saying again here, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. That kind of lines up with what he was saying before, doesn't it? It's very prescriptive. It's, it's very, it's, there's one way. Enter by the narrow gate. What comes to mind when you think of the word narrow? I think in today's society, I think of maybe narrow-mindedness. Um, narrow sounds a little bit intolerant, perhaps. But Jesus says, narrow is the gate. Is it quite confronting? But that's okay. You know, as, as God's working in our lives and changing us, as we're beginning to live as Christ and becoming more like him, as we follow after him and follow in his ways, as he slowly molds us and changes from the inside out, it is going to be a little bit uncomfortable at times. As he stretches our capacity and as we grow, you know, that can hurt sometimes. But it, just remember this, that he always, it's always done for the blessing and honor of, of us and him to the glory of God and to the benefit of us so you might you know, if, you, if you can read the word daily or regularly maybe come to church uh, regularly every week if you're coming to church every week and you're not feeling a little bit uncomfortable from time to time, then maybe you need to think to yourself, am I really following Jesus? What's, what's Jesus working on in my life right now? Where's that uncomfortable part in my life? Get comfortable with the uncomfortable. If you're feeling too comfortable, you should be uncomfortable about it. So we read earlier that um, God told us to, that Jesus said uh, to um, depart from evil, to abstain from all evil things. He's calling us to be different. We're going against the grain. We're not, we shouldn't be following everyone else down the slippery slope to the wide gate. We should be going the hard way to the, to the narrow gate. We should be identifiably different. It's not going to be easy, necessarily. But Jesus is with us. He promised to be with us through his Holy Spirit. He is always with us. And his power is with us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 to 6, it says this. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, as others do but let us watch and be sober so here in Thessalonians Paul's writing about the last days 
um, which we're obviously closer to now than it was back then. So it's got to be even more relevant now than it was then. Who knows how close we are to the end or when Jesus will come back. But we can be sure that we're closer now than they were then. And it's saying there that we're not in darkness. We shouldn't um, let the, the times, let the world overtake us as a thief. We've talked about the agenda, and, and it's there, it's real. You know, we shouldn't be ignorant of this. We shouldn't be ignorant of what's going on around us, and we shouldn't be ignorant of what the Word says about it, and what the Word says in our life, and what God wants us to do, and His promises for us. I'm paraphrasing here, but in Matthew 13 to 14, Jesus talks about that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But what is salt good for if it loses its flavor? What is salt good for if it loses its flavor? And what is light good for if it's hidden, if no one can see it? We're to be salt and light. We're to be identifiably different from what the world is and what the world sees. They should see a difference. They should taste it. And like I said before, as he shines light on areas of our life, as we're coming more like him, yeah, it might feel a little bit uncomfortable. He might be shining lights on, on an area of your life that you might prefer would remain unseen. I know I have that in my own life as he's prompting, you know, it, there's an uncomfortableness there. But we, like I said, we need to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Let God shine his light in us and through us. We talked about that we're vessels for the Holy Spirit. Um, we're conduits, we're vessels. I often think about, you know, what kind of a vessel am I? A broken vessel, that's for sure. But <clears throat> we, should be, we should be confident in our brokenness because it's not our strength, it's not us. It's Jesus' Holy Spirit through us. Through our brokenness, we let his light shine and people can see God's works through our inadequacies, our failures, our brokenness. If it was all on us, I think that would be a lot more stressful than, you know, if God is taking the responsibility that he's saying it's going to be through him. He's, it's his power, it's not your power. We can be confident in that. It's not, we're not standing on what we believe in. We're standing on what the Word says, what the Holy Spirit says. We're standing on His power and His strength, not in our own understanding, not in our own gifts. I haven't shown you my interpretive dancing yet. I'll get to that at the end when the band comes up. In fact, we'll call the band up now as we start drawing to a close. But I just challenge you to remember the two key points that were raised up earlier. It's about believing in and living as. If we could have that up on the screen, there it is. Believing in, so knowing what you believe in, knowing with all your heart, that personal relationship with God and testing what you hear with the word. Don't just accept everything that comes through. We're flooded with information. Run it back through the Bible. It's our filter. It's our measuring stick. Okay, if it doesn't line up with the Bible, don't believe it. Just put it to the side. Okay? We're, some things we don't understand straight away. If we don't understand straight away, just put it to the side 
It might prove itself to be true later, but if it's false, it'll certainly prove itself to be false. Truth will always prove itself to be true. Truth is truth, not because we said it is. It's because it's true. It's not my truth. It's not what I feel about it or what you feel about it. Truth is truth because it's true. Let me just put up the last slide. Our value. Who we are. They're following Christ as disciples, teaching his word. In our church, we are sold out. What does sold out mean? What does sold out mean? It means there's nothing left. It's all gone. Nothing left of us. We're sold out. Handed over to God. Following Christ. Why are we following Christ? Because we believe in him. We know him. And leading others to do the same as we live as. We're committed to founding our lives on his word. Read your Bible. Test it. Prove it. Don't just believe it. Daily learning more about Jesus and teaching others how to apply his word in their lives. As a band, you can begin to pray or play. I'll invite Shane back up shortly to wrap up. But I just want you to, to remember, if you only remember two things today, I want you to remember to read your word, read the word. Don't be afraid of reading the Bible. I'm, I'm not a great reader. I think I went through my whole schooling life without ever reading a book. I read the blurb on the back and talked to the girls who'd read the book and then wrote my essays. Don't do that. Find out for yourself. I guarantee you, you get your teeth into the meat of the word, you'll want more. And get connected. As you live as, get connected. We've got great connect groups within the church. Find one that fits you. If you're youth, go to the youth. If you're young adults, go to the young adults. Men with men, women with women, families, families. Wherever you get, want to be connected, get connected. If there's no group for you to be connected in, maybe you need to start one for people who are just like you. If you've got more questions or want to find out more, we've got Alpha, there's Foundations. There'll be people at the back this morning that can answer all your questions. But yeah, get connected, get into the group, life groups. That's great. All right, who can remember the two points? Believe in, live as. Thank you, Pastor Shane. Thank you.